Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, got several people want to talk about electric vehicles, among other things, and that's fine. Bear with me, please. I'll get to that stuff. But I want to, I want to actually talk about some things first. Um... First of all, we should hear from, well, I'm sorry, the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. I'm so proud of what is happening in terms of our space program and the leadership that the United States is providing to the world. Uh, the Artemis program is, is the beginning of the next era of what we have a history and a tradition of doing, of providing vision and inspiring innovation in a way that is going to benefit all mankind and womankind. And womankind. Uh, and wants a more diverse space operation. You know, one of the, the uh, selling points on the Artemis mission is it'll take the first uh, woman and person of color to the moon. Not kidding. That was in the, in the press write-up. We really didn't realize it was this weekend. My family and I, we went to NASA, uh, to Cape Canaveral in Florida. My daughter wants to go to Georgia Tech to be a rocket engineer. She wants to be in the aerospace engineering program. And she went to NASA, really going to NASA on a school trip a year or two ago is what inspired the shift. She's a brilliant artist, really. Uh, like, this is dad bragging, I get it, but she actually is a really incredible artist. And in ninth grade, they put her in 12th grade art, and she's been there ever since and has won all sorts of statewide competitions. For years, she wanted to go to SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design, and uh, decided that actually she wanted to be an engineer. And part of it, too, is that she wasn't sure she would fit in being a Christian conservative at SCAD, although Georgia Tech isn't quite what it used to be in that regard when these days with, with the, the woke intersectional diversity crew and the rampant hostility towards people of faith by the administration there. But nonetheless, that's where she wants to go. God bless her. And she's very smart and great at math. In addition to being a great artist, she wants to make rockets. So for her birthday, she wanted to go to NASA. And so we went. And uh, a listener on WDBO down there who used to be in Atlanta uh, reached out to me and said that uh, given what her husband does for a living, he could tell me where to get some really great close-up shots of the Artemis rocket. So I took his advice, went where he said to go, and I got some incredible photographs. If you follow me on Instagram at EW Erickson, you can see them. But I want to actually talk about the Artemis program. Uh, and I want to talk about it uh, maybe in the way some do not. Before I do that, I got to play you Bill Nelson. Bill Nelson is the former U.S. Senator. Bill Nelson is also an astronaut. Now, Bill Nelson was not part of any great program. Bill Nelson was a politician who wanted to go into space and was able to finagle his way into space. The left treats him with some level of hagiography that, oh, this man's an astronaut. Actually, he was a politician who wanted to go into space. Uh, so it wasn't just John Glenn taking up all the glory. When John Glenn was a senator from Ohio, Bill Nelson wanted to do it too. And so he finagled his way in, did the training, and he made it. Good for him. 
uh, but he's not an astronaut in the sense of he wasn't part of the Apollo or the Mercury program or even uh, like a, a shuttle astronaut pilot. He was just a politician who finagled his way into space. I am very proud of this launch team. They have solved several problems along the way, and they got to one that needed time to be solved. Uh, I am very grateful to you all for your patience. Uh, this is a brand new rocket. It's not going to fly until it's ready. There are millions of components of this rocket and its systems. Uh, and uh, needless to say, the complexity uh, is daunting when you bring it all into the focus of a countdown. You know, he's not wrong there. You obviously don't want this thing to take off. The problem was a hydrogen leak as they began fueling it. It was undiagnosed. I want you to know I'm actually a fan of the space program. If we're going to do big government, do this sort of big government. Uh, we get the infrared ear thermometer from NASA's developments, the ventricular assist device, LASIK eye surgery, cochlear implants, artificial limbs, light-emitting diodes and medical therapies, invisible braces, scratch-resistant lenses, space blankets, 3D food printing, aircraft anti-icing systems, uh, highway safety grooving systems, improved radial tires, chemical detection, video enhanced and analysis systems, landmine removal technologies, fire resistance reinforcement, firefighting equipment, shock absorbers for buildings, Tempur-Pedic foam, enriched baby foods, portable cordless vacuums, freeze-drying, space-age swimsuits, uh, CMOS image uh, sensors for digital cameras, air scrubbers, uh, so many of the, the Bowflex uh, weightlifting system, air purification, solar cells, pollution remediation, GPS signaling corrections, water location detections for underground water, structural analysis software. Uh, the microwave, powdered lubricants, gold plating, all of these things we get out of NASA-developed technologies. The barcode was invented in 1948, but NASA developed barcode labeling that were safe for the environment, um, safe for space. Um, the cordless power tool came out by Black & Decker, but NASA was able to use them, refine them, and learn how to make a portable electric vacuum cleaner for space. The MRI was developed uh, for body scanning, but then NASA and Jet Propulsion Laboratory was able to refine it and also help build the CAT scanner. The microchip was developed by Texas Instruments, not NASA, but then NASA poured research into it to expand the program. I I'm fine with the space program. NASA, by the way, did not come up with the smoke detector, but actually was able to develop the ones with adjustable sensitivity for the Skylab program. And the ones we have today are the, um, are the ones that NASA refined. Velcro was invented by the Swiss, but then NASA developed it into a household staple and was able to develop a manu manufacturing process that made it available for the masses thanks to the Apollo mission. Now, the Artemis rocket comes out of the Trump administration, which was a derivative of the Constellation program that came out of the Bush administration, was refined and ultimately killed off in, in, by the Obama administration, and then Trump resurrected the Artemis program. Artemis 
is Apollo's twin sister. And so this is to get us back to the moon. The Apollo system was what got us to the moon, so this would get us there. I'm a fan of the space program. The Artemis program is a boondoggle. The people who work on the Artemis program love it. No one else that I know of who is involved in the space program is actually a fan of the Artemis program because it is over budget and has essentially designed itself as a way to keep Boeing in business on government subsidy and to keep people employed in various districts around the country. We took the NASA tour on Saturday. The tour guide was a very nice man who helpfully pointed out that the Artemis program employs people in all 50 states. That right there should be a big big red flag for all of you. It is a program designed to keep people employed on government largesse. SpaceX, Amazon's Blue Origin Project and others can get us into space and have done so pretty efficiently. While we were at NASA on Saturday, there was a rocket launch. And uh, SpaceX launched, I think, 36 satellites and one rocket for its uh, space internet system, Starlink or whatever it's called. Amazon, Jeff Bezos' program, Blue Origin, continues to work. And there are other programs out there as well. Boeing, however, get benefits from the government largesse. And it is a program with lots of cost overruns. It is behind uh, schedule. It is over budget. It is exactly what you get from people in government programs who benefit from government largesse. The technology that we could use to get people to the moon has actually moved beyond the technology involved in the Orion capsule that sits atop the Artemis rocket. We're using old technology that's not exactly efficient technology. I'm a proponent of getting us back to the moon, and I'm a proponent of us exploring the heavens. I'm a proponent of us going to Mars. I'm not a proponent of us spending time on little green men because I'm not actually convinced there are any. And even if there are, they're not going to bother us because no one can travel faster than light that we know of. But I think we should go to space. I think we should reach for the heavens. I agree with John F. Kennedy. We should go not because it's easy, but because it's hard. I think we should go because the developmental refinements that we get out of it benefit all mankind through the use of that technology for other things. And the existing technologies we have, like, for example, Velcro, that are then refined by NASA and made available to the masses, becomes useful. But I think we should spend more time using the private sector and emboldening the private sector we should spend less time subsidizing Boeing's existence. Boeing is a company of brilliant engineers who are run by bean counters who have cost lives in the development of various planes of late, like the 737 MAX. We should let the engineers be engineers, but in the process of being engineers, we should not give government grants and government program subsidies to companies in the private sector merely to keep those companies in business, which essentially is what we're doing. We should be willing to expand our Air Force fleet with cool fighter jets using other companies. Frankly, we should bring back the F-22 instead of just just, uh, scrapping the Raptor for uh, the, the boondoggle plane that we currently have, which is a fine plane, but all sorts of problems. We seem to be using the defense sector and the space sector now to reward largesse and to subsidize companies that couldn't make it on their own. And that I have a problem with. 
I think we should go back to the moon. I think we as the United States should go. We should put up a second American flag. I don't care about the diversity aspects of it, sending the first woman, the first gay person, the first non-white person. I, I couldn't care less. Send a bunch of white men back to the moon with an American flag, and I'd still be happy, and so would every other person, including those who care about diversity. They would be fine with Americans landing on the moon, and I think we should, and I think we should do it within the next decade. I think we need a goal as a country. We need to rally the country. We need to get people back involved and remind people that the United States is the last best stand for freedom on planet Earth, and the space program plays a role in that. But I have a real hard time justifying a rocket system that is designed to compete with the Apollo system when the private sector, notably SpaceX and Elon Musk's program, is nipping at its heels with refined technologies that will be able to get beyond the moon to Mars with space capsules that are just as good, if not better, than what Boeing can deliver. I have this sneaking suspicion that at the end of the day, Boeing is a company that might be past its prime and ready to be put to pasture and would be if we didn't keep propping it up with the Export-Import Bank and the space program. And if we allowed Boeing to die peacefully in its sleep, we would see new companies take over tomorrow, able to do just as much, if not better, than what Boeing can do on government subsidy. I want a space program. I want a robust space program overseen by the federal government, working with private partners to get us back to the moon and beyond. But I do not want a space program whose sole purpose is really designed at the end of the day to provide jobs in congressional districts and to keep a Fortune 500 company kicking when we could let others do it more efficiently, better, for less money, and get us there quicker than what we can with what we presently have. We got to do better if we're going to remain competitive and stay out of China. Everybody asked me about bowl and branch sheets. I actually put up a picture the other day. We got some in our house because we order from them. We actually are customers. And they're like, oh my gosh, are they really that good? Yes, they get softer every single time you wash them. I mean, they use 100% organic cotton threads. They're super soft. You get such a good sleep. They have just the great weight to them. Like I had a pair of sheets we actually threw away when we replaced them with Bowling Branch where is they were just like too light and also not very soft. The Bowling Branch, they're perfect. The drape across your body when you sleep, absolutely perfect. Bowling Branch uses the highest quality threads on earth for superior softness, for a better night's sleep. They've got over 10,000 stellar reviews. Their signature sheets come in nine neutral colors in all sizes from twin to California King. You will feel the difference. And they're 100% free from toxins. No pesticides, no formaldehyde, no harsh chemicals. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. You should, but also uh, you should text SHOW to 33777. You will get the podcasts. You will get the show. You'll get the live stream at the bottom. If you click the link, you'll get the daily show notes, which you should get. Also, while texting, don't forget, if you text the word FIGHT to 52886, I've got my action center set up so you can call your members of Congress and complain about the student loan bailout. Uh, you should do that. Text FIGHT to 52886. Let me take some of these phone calls and get as many as I can here. Richard, you're going to be up next. Richard, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hi, Eric. Uh, this is Richard from Social Circle, Georgia. And I was listening to your uh, comments about the uh, EVs. And one thing that I, I think that would be make it 
uh, easier to sell these and lower the price would be if they went to some kind of a, a standardization on the batteries. I've been driving a, uh, a hybrid for four years and I, I'm getting close to having to replace the batteries and it has a unique uh, battery part number that's going to cost me six to $8,000 to replace in a six or seven year old car. And uh, I know that we've got dry sale standardizations for double A's and triple A's and C's and D's. And I think if they did some kind of a modularization or standardization that let's say uh, sedans use four or six uh, type one automobile batteries, uh, SUV could use six or eight, uh, a heavy duty truck could use eight. And then as you're driving across country, instead of waiting for three or four hours to charge your uh, batteries up, you just buy you, you just buy three or four you know, uh, charged batteries. It's funny you, you should say your this, Richard, I, I read an article in Wired magazine a year or so ago about an Israeli company that was making um, electric cars where their essential state their their fuel stations essentially are. You drive in, your car slides over something. Uh, and a machine robot comes up, takes out the battery, puts in a new battery, and away you go. The whole yeah. process takes as long as filling up your car. I don't know whatever happened with that techno technology on funding-wise or stuff, but they were doing it in Israel, and uh, it, it seems like it was an innovative idea. Um, I'm just not sure whether or not um, it would actually be feasible here. Uh, now, let's see. Rodney, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. You say Rodney? Yes, sir, I did. Welcome. Okay, my my question is: Has anyone thought about if you're running 60, 70 mile an hour on the interstate and an accident happens, and the battery itself gets cracked, say like an engine block on a car? What what's the the dangers of that polluting the air versus a, a gas powered vehicle? You know, I don't know the answer to your question, but I do know that when a lithium-ion battery catches fire like that, it's really difficult to put out. There was actually a, a, a up in Alpharetta, Georgia, which is north of me, north of Atlanta, an electric car just, just caught on fire. It was a Tesla. And Tesla, you know, spends a lot of PR money on uh, the issue of battery fires. The local fire department had to get close enough to be able to jack up the car to be able to get under the car to be able to spread foam and stuff this. Um, it can be a problem, uh, the EV fire systems uh, in, in, in electric cars. First responders have lots of concerns about dealing with electric cars. Uh, in fact, the National Transportation Safety Board uh, put out a piece uh, studying electric vehicle cars and found non-crash fires caused by internal battery failures are actually more common than fires caused in crashes from the EV batteries and that fire departments have serious concerns with them. Uh, look, I, I don't want you to hear me saying I'm a critic of electric vehicles, which so many of you do, because I have criticisms, but I also have criticisms of gas vehicles as well. Problem is gas vehicles aren't in the news, it's the EVs are, so I'm talking about those. Uh, and I would be perfectly fine having a Tesla at my house for me to drive back and forth to Atlanta. But what I'm not perfectly fine with is you deciding that the rest of us need to get on board the program you like because you like it, when frankly, you should be willing to acknowledge that it doesn't fit everybody's needs. 
And we shouldn't be having this one-size-fits-all approach that seems to be going on with batteries with no conversation about their problems. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program, I want to go back to the phones. Chris, you're going to be up next. Welcome. How are you, Chris? Hey, good. Nice day, 90 degrees. I'm from Alpharetta. Uh, basically, I just talk about a little about the shuttle program. If you, I was there from '83 to '86, and I was on the rescue team for the Challenger and on, on 17 other launches. We also did missiles, rockets, submarine launches, air launches, you name them. Mm-hmm. Our job was to configure the helicopters for how many astronauts were on board. Um, so that day, we we're bird number two. I don't know if you know what uh, helicopters for the Air Force. They're old Vietnam or Jolly Green Giants. And um, when the Challenger blew up, we knew something was going to happen. Uh, it was the 23rd delay. I'm not 23rd today. It was the 7th delay. They always predicted one out of seven would not, you know, make it. Um, uh, so it just blew up. And they were pushing us so badly. You know, they made a lot of mistakes. The old rings, in fact, when the when I looked at the temperature on the, our gauge, it was 31 degrees, and that's the closest I've ever seen for a shuttle launch. We looked mm-hmm. for parts for the next three weeks, and all in the Bermuda Triangle. So, And also met the grandson of uh, uh, Dimitro, who had been in Velcro. Huh. So, yeah. I have a lot of stories, but that's just one of them. Well, yeah, look, I appreciate you sharing. Uh, what's your opinion of the program now? Oh, I, I love that. At first, you know, I didn't like you because I thought you're opinionated. But, man, I tell you, I wish you do it every day. I'm, well, okay, I'm okay. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, but I'm actually asking your, your opinion of, of NASA in general right now and what it's oh, doing oh, with the Artemis program. Oh, I'm not impressed. Program. I'm not impressed. You know, they're, they're, for the longest time, they're run by the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, huh. They're just poorly run. They've always been poorly run, you know, uh, since I was in it. I mean, they, I don't think they've changed much. Since then, a lot of waste uh, goes into it. I mean, it just they're all most of them are unionized for work there too. Nothing is unions, but they, I don't. I'm not impressed with them. I think uh, it should be go more to civilians. Yes, I'd love to put man on the moon again, but it the program. Basically. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's my frustration. Listen, Chris, I appreciate the call and and the kind words. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it it's that's my frustration. Is I, I just I feel like we're we're wasting resources that could be used more efficiently to accomplish the same goal. Now I, I gotta I gotta spend some time talking about what's happening down in Florida because this is actually going to become pretty big national news. First of all, I want to play you some audio. This is Ron DeSantis uh, a short time ago talking about uh, the unemployment numbers in Florida and the direction of the country and of the state of Florida. Well, I think the interesting thing over the last couple years. Oh, does audio cut out? Yep, the audio and the clip cut out. Uh, Well, he said you had people that kept wanting to lock people down. I was one of the few in the country that lifted people up. Uh, The unemployment rate in Florida is 2.7%. The U.S. unemployment rate is 3.5%. Of the new jobs created in the last month, 73,800 came from Florida. That's 14% of the total number of jobs in the United States came from Florida. 
Charlie Crist is the Democratic nominee in Florida to run against Ron DeSantis. Uh, essentially, the Democrats are openly saying uh, that the Democratic primary in Florida was to determine who would lose to Ron DeSantis. Nikki Freed lost to uh, Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist will lose to Ron DeSantis. 14% of all new jobs in the United States last month came out of Florida, which has a lower unemployment rate than the United States. Georgia does as well. They're two of the few states. And what they have in common is they reopened a whole lot sooner than most other states in the nation. Charlie Crist has picked a far-left teachers union president to be his running mate. Now, some states, like my state, the lieutenant governor and the governor run as separate constitutional offices. In Florida, they are running mates. The gubernatorial candidate picks someone to be his lieutenant gubernatorial candidate, and Charlie Crist has picked Carla Hernandez, Matz. Uh, she is a far-left senior member of the Florida Teachers Union, and she actually believes that putting veterans into the classroom deprofessionalizes the classroom. If you allow in a competent veteran who is not uh, has not gone through a teacher's education program, it deprofessionalizes the classroom. Not the way you support them. That's right. This is them deprofessionalizing our careers. Uh, teachers have gone to school for four years. They have their bachelor's, they have master's, they have doctoral degrees. And to think that somebody that has four years of combat experience would do well in our schools um, is actually very disrespectful to our, uh, to our educators, to, to our teachers. Um, except around the country where this program is tried, it, it actually has worked very well to bring in people who have military experience. Uh, this woman as well, Carla Matz Hernandez, is her actually her name, not Hernandez Matz, Carla Matz Hernandez. Um, she also was in a union, the teacher's union, that protected a Florida teacher who was raping and assaulting young girls for over a decade. No one wanted to do anything about it because of the teachers' union. Uh, there's a picture circulating of her online uh, under a sign that says, we're keeping kids safe. Uh, she is pictured with the guy, and uh, everyone wants to downplay it. Uh, there are multiple photos with this teacher who was abusing kids and uh, the UTD president, Hernandez Matz. Is it Matz Hernandez or Hernandez Matz is what the media says. Uh, she is the United Teachers of Dade County, the teachers' union president. And that teachers' union was protecting this guy, Wendell Nibs, claiming that they're keeping kids safe. That's who Charlie Crist has decided to run with. This actually provides probably the best political contrast in the United States this year outside of uh, Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams. Teachers' unions are fairly well ruining education in this country right now. USA Today actually has a piece. I was surprised, of all things, USA Today, given how left-wing USA Today has drifted. Uh, they've actually got this piece. Teachers' unions want parents to forget what happened during COVID. Don't let them. Ingrid Jack has this piece. Uh, noting that Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, has kicked off a What Kids and Communities Need campaign that she says is total gaslighting. They need reliable schools where teachers show up and do their job, but that's not what the teachers' unions have wanted. 
around the country where teachers unions have power and can strike and walk out. They've been doing that over COVID and other issues. They have put protecting teachers like this uh, rapist uh, who assaulted young girls in um, Dade County schools. They protect them over the kids. That Charlie Crist has decided to run uh, with Carla Hernandez Matz, a progressive teachers union president who doesn't think putting veterans in classrooms is a good idea and used her union to protect a teacher who was abusing young girls in school is actually a pretty profound thing that Charlie Crist wants to put teachers unions who wanted to shut down kids, shut down schools and keep kids out of school as his running mate is a defining moment in politics in, in 2022. Charlie Crist seems to be going out of his way to lose. But you know, the other thing that teachers unions are doing out there is they're trying to claim that lower black and Latino pass rates on standardized tests means that the standardized tests are racist and failing kids because they don't like the accountability system that comes from the standardized tests. But actually, but actually, standardized tests showing lower scores doesn't mean that they're racist. And you and I should know this. John McWhorter He's actually an opinion writer in the New York Times. He's written a book about the N-word, among other things. He's of the left, but he's not woke. The Association of School Work Boards administers tests typically required for the licensure of social workers. This amounts to a kind of racing that must be reckoned with, he writes in the New York Times. There's a change.org petition circulating saying just that, based on the claim that the association's clinical exam is biased, because from 2018 to 2021, 84% of white test takers passed it the first time, while only 45% of black test takers and 65% of Latino test takers did. These numbers are grossly disproportionate and demonstrate a failure in the exam's design, the petition states, adding that an assertion that the problem lies with test takers only reinforces the racism inherent to the test. The petitioners add that the exam is administered only in English and its questions are based on survey responses from a disproportionately white pool of social workers. The petition doesn't sufficiently explain why that makes the test racist. We're just supposed to accept that it is. The petitioners want states to eliminate requirements that social workers pass the association's tests, leaving competence for licensure to be demonstrated through degree completion and a period of supervised work. So it's wrong to use a test to evaluate someone's qualifications to be a social worker, they say. That sounds plausible only if you buy into the fashionable ideology of the moment in which we're encouraged to think it's somehow anti-racist to excuse black and brown people from being measured by standardized tests. This is about a social worker test, but it's pretty pervasive in public school right now as well. The data shows us that non-white kids don't do as well on standardized tests. We are supposed to presume then that the standardized tests are racist, as opposed to the teachers unions running the schools are failing the non-white kids. Or maybe there's a social reason um, tied to broken homes that has to do with this. But we're not allowed to talk about any of that stuff. 
We have to talk about the imagined castle constructed in the air overnight by left-wing progressives to explain the way the world works, as opposed to actually looking at history and seeing some ties in on failed homes and collapsed families causing stress on kids. And disproportionately, kids from single-parent homes come from non-white households, and surprise, they do worse in school. I wonder if there's a connection there. No, no, no. Let's construct this castle in the air overnight to explain it. It's the testing that is racist. Y'all, we're screwing up kids. We're screwing up kids. Our society is doing it. And the wokes would have you believe that all the social ills come down to white supremacy or some uh, sin against intersectionality. Because they can't address that maybe, just maybe, possibly, it's the social formula that the left has laid out over the last 40 years that has broken our society. We're not allowed to hold them accountable. They always find some new problem. And that problem always tends to be a problem that originated from the right. It's amazing how often that happens. Maybe, just maybe, there are problems with the way the left has decided society must be ordered and problems, in fact, that so many of our institutions and elite on both sides of the aisle went along with ordering society in that way in deciding to bail out families with Uncle Sam so that families over time lost their ability to thrive independently of government. We've made people addicted to government. And then with these addicts, we wonder why they can't function in society apart from government saving them. Maybe it's not racism. Maybe instead of systemic racism at play here, maybe it's systemic dependence on Uncle Sam that's caused the problem. Before I get out of here, Eden Pure is having their famous BOGO deal on their thunderstorm air purifiers. Uh, a listener says, quote, uh, it makes a huge difference in our cat litter box stink. I just wish I waited for the BOGO deal. I need another one. Well, it's back. You can get your BOGO. What is it? Buy one, get one free. Instead of the Eden Pure three-pack, you just buy one Eden Pure, you get another Eden Pure for free. No matter how many buy, you get an equal amount free. So if you buy two, you're going to get two for free. If you buy five, you're going to get five for free. The thunderstorm will completely eliminate any odor, even the worst odor like pet odors, cigarette odors, urine odors, cooking odors. The Eden Pure takes care of them. Now's the time to order. The Eden Pure's buy one, get one free sale is this week only. It's this week only, y'all. With over 265,000 thunderstorms sold, countless five-star reviews, you know what's going to work. I tell you, we were at that Crayola experience down in Florida this weekend. My first thought was, man, I need to go get the Eden Pure out of my suitcase and fire it up in this place. It's had that stale Crayola odor in the... In the People are buying these. The Crayola place down in Florida and Orlando really need one. You can get them for your house. You can buy one, get one free. Buy two, get two free. Buy three, get three free. That's how it works. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and you use the discount code Eric Bogo, Eric, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O, no space, Eric Bogo. That's EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo, E-R-I-C-K-B-O-G-O, all one word. Shipping's free. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, put in Eric Bogo, Buy one Eden Pure Thunderstorm and get one for free. We're about to engage in something. Have you heard of the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon? I'm sure you have. You may not know that that's the name, but you hear something 
and you become aware of a word or a trend and then you're suddenly seeing it everywhere as if it didn't exist until the moment you learned of it and now you can't get away from it. Over the weekend, I saw some phrase uh, that appeared online called quiet quitting and people on Reddit are upset with the phrase quiet quitting. Someone's come up with some sort of research on quiet quitting. It's like, what the heck is quiet quitting? And the story really didn't do a good job of explaining it. Now, today, I see another story on quiet quitting and how Generation Z is quiet quitting. Um, They're not quitting. It's a stupid phrase. I don't know who came up with the phrase, but whoever came up with the phrase should probably be flogged because it doesn't mean they're quitting. So you got to understand this. Uh, Gen X the greatest generation to exist in America right now. Gen X has this philosophy. You go to work, you make money, and you put that money in a bank account, and then you go elsewhere to find meaning in your life. They're not defined by their job in most cases. Some of them like their job, and they get into a position in their 40s where they get a job that uh, they actually do want to do for the rest of their life. I'm in that position. I never expected to be in radio. Now I'm in radio. Can't imagine ever doing anything else. But then along came the millennials. The millennials tend to be the children of the baby boomers. The baby boomers, of course, ruined everything. They brought us, well, Woodstock and millennials. And the millennials, they wanted to take their whole self to work. They they wanted to get meaning and value from the work that they do. And they, they need their companies to reflect their values and their policy. They can't just work and make money. They got to have their whole self there. And I'm not going to work for a place unless it reflects my whole self and my values. Needlessly entitled whining brats. Exactly the sort of kids you would think the baby boomers would raise. Well, Gen Z are the kids... Of Gen X. And believe it or not, as screwed up as they are, thanks to social media and TikTok that their parents shouldn't give them access to, shame on us Gen Xers. The Gen Zers have decided to quietly quit. They're not actually quitting work. They've just decided, unlike the millennials, they just need to go make money at a job and then spend that money where they're happy doing stuff. And it is a growing phenomenon of Gen Zers. The idea to work to live instead of living to work, to stay on the payroll, but focus on fun, fulfilling activities outside of work. Good. That's what they should do. This whole idea of let me bring my whole self to work and I should find fulfillment in my work and work should be my whole life. No. I mean, I love my work, y'all. I, to some degree, am defined by my work. I am, to some degree, a workaholic. But I like to make money and then take my family on nice vacations like we did this past weekend. I like to spend the money on other stuff. And I like to go find causes and and friendships outside of the office. And that's the way it's supposed to be until the millennials ruined it all and thought that our entire existence should be wrapped up in our work lives. No, it's bad and good for Gen Z for realizing they should be like Gen X and not like the millennials. But seriously, Gen Z, get off TikTok. It's bad for your mental health. Get off TikTok and get outside and make real friends in the real world who are not your work friends and not your social media friends. Go do that and you'll be even better off.